man was walking down the street. He saw a sign in the yard <clears throat> said, talking dog for sale. He knocked on the door and man said, I saw your sign. He said, yeah, dog's around back. Went around back. There stood a dog chained up, but dog house. And man said to the dog, you talk? And the dog said, yep. He said, tell me your story. He said, well, my, my ability was, was discovered at a young age, and before long, I went to work for the government. I traveled all around the world, and you can't believe the, the, the meetings I've sat in. Nobody would think that a, that a dog would be a spy. He said, but I got, I got tired of traveling after a while, and I went to work at the airport. And my job was just to go sit by people that look suspicious and, and just listen. But then I retired and took a wife and had a litter of pups, and here I am. And the man said, that's amazing. Said the guy, how much you want for the dog? He said, $10. He said, $10 for a talking dog? He said, that dog's a liar. He hadn't done any of those things. <laughs> well... Our message this morning is pretty serious. Uh, it is true. It is words of truth. And I ask you to, to uh, hear what the Lord has to say. Would you bow me in prayer? Oh, Father in heaven, the world sees us as losers, as people that have to have a religion for a crutch, Yet they have illicit behavior and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of addictions. And Lord, today, our addiction, if I can use that word, is Jesus. It's Jesus. We've never experienced anything in life like Jesus. We're so thankful for your word. It's been preserved, even though men tried to eradicate it from the face of the earth. That told us, as we just saw on the screen, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Today, Father, we worship not a dead Jesus, but your Son, the living Son of God, the resurrected Christ. And I know, Father, that stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out, but for us to see in. And so, Father, we're the most blessed people in all the world. May we see today what you want us to see. Help us to that end with your message and, and with thy messenger, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible connects the concept of resurrection to many, many truths. There are many truths in the Bible that are connected to the concept of resurrection. I want to give you three PRs by way of introduction. They're in the insert in your program today on, on the backside. The first PR is prophecy fulfillment. Oh, oh preacher, I, I'm not sure I believe in the Bible. Or I, I I have a friend that says, I don't believe in the Bible. Tell you a story. William Henry Book was a preacher. He was riding on a train about 100 years ago. And a man said, 
saw a preacher book, reading his Bible, and he said, hey, I don't believe that book. And the preacher just kept on reading. The man was kind of annoyed. He slapped him on the back and said, hey, I said, I don't believe that book. W.H. Book looked up at him and said, go to hell quietly, please. If you have doubts today about the Bible, the best thing you can do is go put yourself in a, in a private room somewhere, a, a quiet place, and study until, until you're convinced. Millions have done it. This is not the words of men. It's the words of God. What I'm going to tell you now doesn't prove anything. It proves something, but it doesn't prove the validity of the Bible. That's this. We know that the Bible has been printed between five and seven billion times. Let's just uh, go with, with the conservative number five. Five billion is 5,000 million. Take a million 5,000 times and that's five billion. That's how many times conservatively the Bible has been, has been printed. The closest book is about, next to it is about one billion. The Bible's been produced five times more than any book. That doesn't make it true. But it sure says something about the Bible, doesn't it? The number one pr produced Bible in all, book in all the world, four or five times over, it says something about that. Around 1000 BC, King David wrote Psalm 16, verse 10, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay. David was, was a king. He was a prophet. The Bible says a man after God's own heart. And he, he wrote most of the book of Psalms. And he, he said there would be one whose body would not undergo decay. Or his soul would not be abandoned to Sheol, the abode of the dead. Then in Acts chapter 2, a thousand years later, Peter quotes David, and he, and he said, he, meaning David, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. How do we know that? Because previously in that chapter, Peter said, David's tomb's right over here. We can go, we can go visit his bones. They're right over here. They've been there a thousand years. So when David made this comment a thousand years ago, he wasn't talking about himself because his bones are right over here. He looked in and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. You see, there are all kinds of fulfilled prophecies in this book, and there's one of them about Jesus. He was not dead long enough for his body to decompose. And so the resurrection gives proof to the Bible that it's true. But here's another PR. It gives proof of Jesus' divinity. It gives proof of Jesus' divinity, his godlike nature. Jesus was fully human and fully God. He was as much man as if, he, as if he'd never been God. He was as much God as if he'd never been man. Fully divine, fully human, all wrapped up in one body. The resurrection proves Jesus' divinity. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says as much who was declared the Son of God. Say Son of God. Son of God with power. By what? By the resurrection from the dead. According to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Anybody who rises from the dead is whoever they say they are. You can count on that. 
Jesus said he would, he did. It proves that he is not just a son of man, but literally the son of God. Resurrection proves that prophecy is true. It proves that Jesus is the son of God. Thirdly, it gives us a promise of hope. Say hope. Gives us the promise of hope. I like to say that hope is the fuel that ignites the fire of life. Hope is what gets you out of bed in the morning because you, you think there's something better up ahead worth living for, right? Acts 26, 6 through 8 says as much. Now I'm standing on trial for the hope of the promise which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. For this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God did raise the dead? Three times the apostle Paul says that Christ is the promise of Israel's hope. Let's look at Acts 23 and verse 20, verse 6. He says, I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Prophecy fulfillment, proof of Jesus' divinity, promise of hope, all tied to this concept of the resurrection. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? For many years, I've wanted to preach a sermon on, on, on the theme that the Bible connects to the resurrection. It seems like there's always something else to do. And finally this year, after... 33 years I got around to it, better late than never, right? <laughs> in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul was in Athens, Greece, still there today, and he was waiting for his fellow co-workers, Silas and Timothy, to catch up. They, they were still in Berea, and Paul was there, and, and as he saw this great ancient city of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, the great Greek philosophers... The city was filled with idols, and it caused, I'm sure, the hair to stand up on the back of Paul's neck. It caused his spirit within him to be vexed and stirred. And when Paul got an opportunity to teach those people, he preached to them. He said, there's only one God. He made you. He made the world. He's not far from you. In him we live and move and have our being. And then... Paul told them about the subject of the resurrection. Acts 17, 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Does it sound like they were convinced? No. Others, he seemed to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Yeah, a deity you don't know about. You have an altar to a God you know about. I'm going to tell you about him because he was preaching what? Jesus and the resurrection. And Paul concluded his message with this statement. Acts 17, 31. Because he has fixed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In that verse... Paul connects two concepts. He connects the concept of resurrection of Jesus with another subject. What is that other subject? The judgment. And he said, 
just as certain as Jesus raised from the dead, there will too be a judgment. You can count on it. Jesus is alive, and because he is, there's a day of judgment coming. The Bible actually addresses this concept of judgment in two different ways, two, di- two different periods in life, if you will, and I want to address those here this morning. Let's look at the first judgment the Scripture talks about. The one that we just read and Ethan read to us, that will be the second one. But let's first talk about the first judgment. Death is as much a beginning as it is an ending. I said death is as much a beginning as it is an ending. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus spoke that. He died at 3 o'clock, and guess where he went? Paradise. He went to heaven. And the thief died sometime after that, not long after that, I'm sure. And, And guess where he joined Jesus in? In paradise. Let me ask you a question. Was it their bodies that were in paradise? No. They took Jesus' body and put it in, put it in, in a cave. Thief's body was put somewhere. It was something other than that. It was their soul. Jesus made seven statements from the cross. What was the last one he made? And I don't think it was, it is finished, but it was another one. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Bible uses the term spirit and the term soul as interchangeable words. And Jesus said, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. Yes, death is as much a beginning as it is an end. James 2.26 says as much. Just as the body without the spirit is dead. Does a dead person have flesh? Of course they do. What's the difference between them and us? They don't have a soul. They don't have a spirit. Your spirit is what inhabits this body. It's what gives our body life. You see, today, you don't see the real me. The real me is invisible. The real me is a soul, a spirit. I just live in this body that you see. And that's true of me as I look at you. We're, we're spirit by nature who live in a body. The real you is an invisible soul. When a person dies, their soul, their spirit, departs from their body, and it goes to be judged, which is what we're going to talk about momentarily. Kind of been a hard day for me today. My first Easter without my mom, last September 28th, I watched my mom, 93 years old, leave this world. It was just like you took a window shade and closed it. I'll never forget it. Her whole countenance, her whole appearance, just, it just changed, just like you closed a, light, a window shade. Her spirit left her body after 93 plus years. Let's name three truths quickly about this this judgment. The soul is judged immediately at death. Our soul is judged immediately at death. Remember, Paul said, as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, there's going to be a what? 
a judgment. You've heard it said there are two things you can't avoid. What are they? Death and taxes. Well, the Bible says that a little bit differently. Here's what it says, Hebrews 9, 27. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, that's one. And after this comes the judgment, that's two. Not taxes, judgment. Die once, judgment. Luke 16, 19 and following tells us as much. It says, there was a rich man, by the way, the, the eternal destiny of these two men had nothing to do with the fact that one was rich and one was poor. It just happens to be the, the way the story is that Jesus told, but rich people can go to heaven. <laughs> By the way, we Americans are rich compared to the rest of the world uh, very much. Rich man, he habitually dressed in, in purple, fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. He was eating, drinking, and being merry, right? Just like most of America. Poor man named Lazarus laid at his gate, covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. The poor man died. It was one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Luke 16, 22. The poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. I love that. Rich man also died, was buried. Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus. In his bosom. What? Those two men experienced first death and then judgment. Judgment. If you're not cremated someday, half a dozen strong men will carry your body out to the cemetery. But before that, if you're a Christian, you'll have angelic pallbearers. When it says... The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. What did they carry? His body? They carried his soul, man. They carried his soul to paradise, to heaven, while the rich man was taken also by whoever to Hades, and he was immediately in torment. Some people have tried to say that this story is a parable. I want you to look at this quote. Take a look at this quote. Cottrell says, even if Lazarus and the rich man were not real people as a, as a part of Jesus' story, the circumstances pictured in the story must reflect the reality of the afterlife. Otherwise, Jesus has misled us. That's true. What he's saying is, even if the two men named are just people that Jesus made up, the concept is not made up, and there probably are real people. But Jesus taught us after death, there, there is an immediate judgment, and there are two options. The rich man ended up in Hades, a place of torment, and the poor man Lazarus, having nothing to do with his lot in this life as far as material wealth, ended up in paradise or heaven. The soul is judged immediately at death. Secondly, there are many deniers of the first judgment. The Jehovah's Witness, you've heard of those folks, they do not believe in the soul. They don't believe, that they don't believe in the soul. They believe that when you die, you're just dead like a dog, and, and then when Christ comes again, he will resurrect you back to life and that you pass out of existence. They do not believe in the soul. They're incorrect, by the way. Seventh-day Adventists believe in the soul, but they believe that the soul goes to sleep at death. Let me read you this quote. The soul has no conscious existence apart from the body. 
There's no text that indicates that the soul survives the body as a conscious entity. What? Didn't we just read a text in Luke 16 that two men died, a, a poor man and a rich man, and after they died, they were what? Conscious. They were conscious, one in heaven, one in, 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 in hell, if you will. When I think about that statement, I think about this. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a verse that says there is a, that the soul has conscious existence after death? That's what the Adventists believe, that, that the soul goes to sleep at death. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let me ask you a question. Take a look at this picture. Recognize this guy? Who is that guy? That's Stephen Hawking. Real smart guy. That's an understatement, humanly speaking. Mathematics professor at the University of Cambridge. He died in the year 2018. Terrible physical existence for many years. Had some type of a form of ALS. Uh, only able to communicate, by, I think, with his cheek uh, at the end of his life, uh, somehow through technology. Very, very sad. And I, I want you to read this statement from Stephen Hawking. He said, no one created the universe and no one directs our fate. Well, every man can have an opinion, right? They're, they're like noses, I know. This leads me to profound realization that, notice he says, there's probably no heaven. <laughs> probably. No afterlife, he said. I think belief in an afterlife is just wishful thinking. There's no reliable evidence for it. And it flies in the face of everything we know in science. And unfortunately, Stephen Hawking now knows better. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? I, I, I don't know this, and maybe it doesn't matter since a man's dead. I, I tend to think that maybe Hawking was bitter at God for his physical condition in life. I don't know that, but I wonder if that's true. How, that's sad. There's probably no heaven. Didn't John Lennon sing, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. <laughs> no hell below us. I don't want to listen to that. I want to imagine there is a heaven because Mother's Old Black Back Bible says there is. Not everybody believes that. Quickly, thirdly, there's no second chance. The rich man wanted out of Hades. He wanted out desperately, but there was no getting out. Let's go back to that text quickly, Luke 16, 24 and following. He cried out and said, Father Abraham, who was in paradise, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things, likewise Lazarus bad things. Now he's being comforted here. That's paradise in heaven. You're in agony. Besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. What's a chasm? It's a dividing place. It's a gulf. It's a separation so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. None may cross over from there to us. In other words, there's no getting out. Let me ask you a question. Did this man who wanted comfort so desperately, did he get it? No, he didn't. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. There is no second chance. There's no such place called purgatory that you might have heard that there is. 
where you, where when you die, you've not been that good a person. You go there and, and, and your rough edges are singed off through prayer and financial giving. And then you're sprung loose to heaven. That simply does not exist. It is not true. I recently saw a reference to a man who said he died in 2017 and, and went to hell and came back. We, we, we read earlier, Hebrews says, it is appointed for a man to die once, not twice, once, and then comes a judgment. There is no getting out. There are deniers and judgment takes place immediately, well, shall we say, five seconds after you die. Just as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, we will be judged. Now, secondly, the second judgment takes place when the world ends. That's the second judgment. The text that Ethan read to us from Acts 17, 31 says that just as assuredly as Jesus rose from the dead, so too God has fixed a day in which he will, what? Judge the world. As certain as there's been a resurrection, there will be a judgment. Psalms 96 in verse 13 says, before the Lord, for he is coming, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples in his faithfulness. But how about this one, a little bit more recent verse, Acts 111. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Jesus came the first time as a savior. He's coming the second time as a judge. A judge. Let's note in this second half of the message three principles about this end of, the time, end of, end of time judgment. We, we've addressed the judgment at the end of life. It happens immediately. But now let's talk about the end of time judgment, if you will, and note three truths about that. First of all, the living dead accompanies him. Well, that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Like... Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> I bought some of those the other day. $12 or something a pound. Boxing ring. I thought a ring was round. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're talking, we're talking about the living dead. We're talking about people who have lived in this world, have died, have gone on to paradise or Hades. That's who I'm talking about. Those are the living dead. We call that state sometimes the intermediate state. It's in between this life and the next event God's going to bring on the world, the second coming of Jesus. So when Jesus comes again, maybe today, right? All the people in paradise in heaven and all the people in Hades who are suffering torment, every person is coming back here to this world. Did you know that? They got to get something. What is that? A new body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 says, we believe Jesus died and rose again. Amen. Believe that? We believe Jesus died and rose again. It's what we celebrate today. 
Even so, God will bring with him, who's him? Him's the pronoun, refers back to a noun, that's Jesus. Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. When Jesus comes again, all the dead in Christ, they're coming with him. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says, Do not marvel at this, Jesus said, an hour is coming. Which all, who does that leave out all? Doesn't leave out anybody, does it? All who are in the tombs will hear his voice, will come forth. Those who did good deeds, the resurrection of life. Those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. In a few moments, we'll get a verse where the Bible says that people are going to come out of the sea. Can you imagine all the people that died at sea in, in shipwrecks and, and, and drowning? Their body wasn't recovered. They're going to come out of the sea. Osama bin Laden is going to come out of the ocean. Yeah, to get a new body that will be fit for his future home. What will the unsaved think? On that day when Jesus comes, what will they think? I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. They'll come and get a body fit for eternal judgment. We'll never, it'll never be incinerated. It will burn, but will never be incinerated. And the safe will get a body, a glorified body, that'll look something like Christ's glorified body now that will live in heaven and paradise forever. I want one of those. How about you? I want one of those. When Jesus comes, the living deceased, if you will, they accompany him, saved and lost, to get a new body in that day, which the Bible refers to as the day, singular, not plural, singular. Secondly, it is a judgment of works. We're saved by grace, but judged by works. You ought to write that down. We're saved by grace, but judged by our works. Yes, our works will be made visible before all humanity, both good and and bad. Look at this scripture. Then I saw a great white throne. Do you know what the, 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 the dress code in heaven, the color is? It's white. If you don't like white, you're not going to like heaven. Him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small. You know what that means? That means everybody. It means everybody the great and the small standing before the throne, the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from according to the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. The great white throne judgment at the end of time, reveals our works. There are a lot of people in this life who could care nothing about Jesus. They have no works at all, and works don't save us. <laughs> I understand that. We're saved by grace, judged by our works. We'll, we'll come to that in a moment, what that's all about. But I know this. God expects us to have works for him. Jesus said to that boy in that story, Son, Go work today in the vineyard. Son, go work today 
in the vineyard? Do you have any works for Christ? He's taking note. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be received what is due, what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. When the books are open, what do they reveal? They, they reveal our good works, and they reveal our not-so-good works, and they reveal that no one is worthy of going to heaven. We've all come up short. We've fallen short with our works. It reveals that heaven is not earned. It is a gift of God's grace. It is a gift of God's grace. It reveals our works. It is that which everybody participates in. Lastly, it is a separation of the saved and the lost. It is a separation of the saved and the lost. Are you listening? You believe this? <laughs> you see, the, the second judgment, the judgment at the end of time does not determine who is saved and, and who is lost. That's already been determined. When? When you die. You see, Abraham's been gone. Abraham's been in heaven 4,000 years. And Moses has been in heaven 3,500 years. And David and Elijah 1,000 years. And Paul, 2,000 years. That's where they've been in paradise in heaven all that time. This, this is not about determining who is saved, who is lost. That's already been determined when you draw your last breath. This judgment is a separation of the saved and the lost. Because remember, everybody comes here first, saved and lost, to get that resurrected body that will not perish for all eternity. Matthew 25, 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. That's after He comes. He'll sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He'll do what? Separate them from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, He'll put the sheep on his right. That's why you want to be conservative. You want to be on the right. <laughs> and put the goats on the left. You don't want to be a goat. Revelation 20, 13 to 15. They were judged. Every one of them according to their what? They were judged. Every one of them according to their? Should be deeds. We're missing a word letter there. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. I want you to take a look at this quote, and then we're just about going to be finished. Take a look at this, such a very important quote. What is significant, though, is that this works judgment based upon the books is not the final word upon the judging, in the judging process. Rather, the final determination of each person's fate is based on judgment according to the book of life. Indeed, the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 13, 8, 21, 27. The idea seems to be that after the first phase of judgment, the one according to works, no one is found to be worthy of entrance into heaven. 
no matter how great our works are. But when the Lamb's book of life is consulted, it is found that some have not trusted in their works but have accepted God's offer of grace. These and these alone are admitted into heaven, not on the basis of their works, but on the basis of the blood of the Lamb. In the final analysis, this and only this, this alone determines who will be in heaven and who will be in the bad place called hell. Yes, what, what, the judgment shows that our works, as great as they are, are deficient. And then all that matters is what? Is my name written there on that page, white and fair, in the book of thy kingdom is my name written there. A song says it like this, only by the blood of the lamb, only by the blood of the lamb, we've overcome. In his grace, we now stand only by the blood of the lamb, only by the blood of the lamb. Only by the blood of the Lamb. We've overcome. In His grace, we now stand only by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice what that says. There's no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. What if you're not in Christ Jesus? There is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus.